Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 podcast. And then, guys, in today's episode, we finally have approached bowl season as bowl season week one has officially wrapped up. We're going to talk about all of the games from Friday and Saturday. Friday, we had two pretty good bowl games, obviously. What you could say is probably the most enjoyable bowl game as a player going to the Bahamas and the Bahama Bowl between UAB and Miami of Ohio. And then the final game we had on Friday, which was a really good offensive showdown between two conference champions. We had UTSA taking on Troy in a top 25 matchup. And then on Saturday, we had the Scott Satterfield Bowl between Louisville and uh, Cincinnati, which is not the name of the actual rivalry game. It's the Battle of the Nail, uh, something around there. I'm I'm so sorry, Louisville and Cincinnati fans. I can't remember. And then just so much more games. So, guys, we're going to talk about all of those games individually. And before we do all of that, please make sure, guys, that you are liking, commenting, sharing, rating. Do whatever you can just to make sure we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast to everybody. And that includes all your family members and friends and people you may not even know. Just go up to them. Say, yo, what's up? You like college football? Definitely should check it out. But, um, guys, seriously, thank you for all your support that you have shown here on a daily basis. It truly means the world to me. And, I mean, once again, we all love college football, and that's one reason why I like doing this is to be able to, you know, help people that may not have had that full experience yet of college football, you know, get that experience and fall in love the same way we all did. So, anyways, y'all, let's get right into it. And like I always say, I don't want to waste y'all's time or waste my time. So, let's let's talk some football. So, on Friday, bowl season finally kicked off, and we're going to go down to the Bahamas in the Bahama Bowl as we had two teams who had to win their final week of the regular season. Miami of Ohio, they would beat Ball State. And then for UAB, you know, they also had to win their final game as well. So, entertaining matchup between two teams that, you know, really gritted it out at the end of the year. Miami had a really interesting stat line. I don't think a lot of people realize. Started the season 0-6. Finished the year 6-6, six and six, the first time a team has done that since back in 2016. And, you know, for UAB, they have arguably one of the top running backs in all of the nation in Dwayne McBride, who actually leads all of FBS in rushing yards with 1,700 rushing yards. But, unfortunately, in this game, which would be his final game as a Blazer, he would not play due to declaring for the NFL draft. So, they would be without, the uh, UAB would be without their top offensive weapon and arguably their best, you know, best weapon overall offensively and defensive, defensively. So they already took a huge uh, hit there. And then for Miami, just simply being able to continue the momentum, right? You finish the year on a six-game win streak, something which is really impressive to do. I mean, obviously, it's in the MAC, but at the same time, still really solid. So, you know, in this game between these two teams, you, uh, not Utah, UAB got off to a really quick start, really quick start, immediately got into the end zone. And it looked like UAB, they were just going to run all over all over Miami of Ohio, but don't get it twisted. Miami of Ohio, they would somehow end up bouncing back in this game as UAB starting quarterback Dylan Hopkins would get a little bit banged up with a ankle injury. So him and Jacob Zeno, the former Baylor quarterback, would kind of go back and forth the entire game. But Miami's defense, they stepped up when it mattered the most, really limited a UAB team, which is known for running the football really effectively. I mean, heck, when you've got the top rusher in all of the FBS, it's kind of what team's going to expect. So Miami did a really good job stopping the run. Offensively, didn't do anything, you know, crazy in terms of stat-wise, but they got they, they had effective plays. And, you know, going into halftime, they were trailing UAB by four points. It was a 10-6 to ball game, but to open up the half, Miami, they would immediately have a three and out, but they would punt the ball to UAB, and UAB, which... 
I feel bad for the returner because that had to have been arguably one of the most unlucky bounces you will ever see because he tried to avoid the football, right? You know, short yarded situation. The ball is pretty much going to be back on your red zone regardless. So he tried to get out of the way, but the ball took a curve and a turn. It went right to him in his hands, was not expecting the ball. Miami of Ohio recovers it, and then immediately, once they finally have the football and get on offense, they get into the end zone off a Kevin Davis rushing touchdown. But hold up now, UAB, they would immediately respond with a rushing touchdown of their own in the form of Jermaine Brown Jr., who would be the lead rusher in this game for both teams, as it would make it a 17-13 ball game up to this point. But, however, you know, for the unfortunate case of Miami of Ohio, Jermaine Brown would just be too much for this Miami of Ohio defense in the fourth quarter as Jermaine Brown would once again get in the end zone for a second time as he would also win game MVP with his amazing performance of 24 carries, 116 yards rushing, and two touchdowns on the day. Dylan Hopkins, you know, despite being banged up, the UAB quarterback did really good, 16-24, 204 yards receiving with one touchdown and one interception. And funny enough, 183 of those yards he threw would be to Trey Shropshire, the leading receiver for UAB in this game, who would have six receptions for 183 yards receiving a one touchdown. Now, this game would literally come down to the wire as Miami of Ohio, in the literal last seconds of the game, would drive down the field, and on the final play, Miami of Ohio would just be a few yards short, very reminiscent of the Rams and Titans Super Bowl, as UAB, in the last game for their interim head coach, would be able to allow him to leave with a win as UAB. They win the Bahamas Bowl 24-20 over the Red Hawks of Miami, Ohio, as UAB is now starting a new era of Blazer football with former Pro Bowl quarterback and Super Bowl champion quarterback Trent Dilfer as their head coach going forward. So great game to kick us off here in the bowl season, and it got even better as right after this game down in Orlando, Florida at the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl, we had arguably the best group of five bowl game that we're going to have this entire bowl season, right? So in the uh, Cure Bowl, we had the 25th ranked UTSA Roadrunners who are coming off a Conference USA championship win over North Texas in which we saw Frank Harris, the best quarterback in the group of five, just utterly continue his dominance, also being able to throw the football and run the football. But now in this game, they're going up against a Troy Trojan you know, team that is just well-rounded. They're able to run the football really well. They also have one of the better defenses in the group of five. So this was, this was going to end up being maybe one of the better bowl games that we have this entire bowl season. And well, this bowl game would definitely not disappoint, but it would not be on the offensive side of the football. It'd be the defensive side of the football that would come up clutch for both of these teams in this game. Because for UTSA, they only had 12 points on the board. This is a team that normally will give you on average about 30 points a game. You know, only being held to 12, one touchdown with a safety and a field goal. So... Kind of a wonky game. They had a, a triple crown of themselves, but I don't think it was a triple crown they really wanted. But in this game, I mean, hats off to Troy's defense. They were absolutely outstanding. Didn't allow Frank Harris to really get anything going. They forced two interceptions off of him in this game, 23 of 42, 194 yards passing with one touchdown. And then those two interceptions we just talked about, I mean, Frank Harris really looked like a shell of himself. He was a little bit banged up throughout the entirety of this game. I don't remember. I think he got I think he got hit pretty hard on one play. There was, you know, one interception where he threw and he immediately got pretty much just knocked the crud out of on one. So he he was banged up a little bit, but 
outside of that, I'm not going to give him that excuse necessarily, but, I mean, Troy's defense was just absolutely amazing. UTSA, they ran the football pretty well. Kavorian Barnes, 22 carries for 138 yards rushing, but he'd really be the only contributor that they had on the rushing side of the football. But the biggest problem for UTSA in this ball game was the fact that they just could not capitalize when they got down into the red zone. And then for Troy, their offense wasn't that much better. Gunnar Watson, their starting quarterback, 13 to 23, 113 yards passing with one touchdown and then two interceptions as well. So same statistical, you know, TD to interception ratio both of these quarterbacks had. But really the biggest thing for Troy would be the fact that their defense would just absolutely come up clutch every single drive. Pretty much had, and yeah, there's four straight drives in this game, or offensive drives for UTSA, where they would have four turnovers on this game. So, Troy's defense was just absolutely unstoppable. So the MVP of this game, it just goes 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 out to the whole entire uh, unit of, of Troy's defense, as they would pull out. And you know, funny enough, I know Troy was favored in this game, but I think a lot of us knew that. I mean, let's be honest, after watching what UTSA did last week, I know Troy, they blew out Coastal Carolina with Grayson McCall. That was that was an amazing game in its own right. But watching how Frank Harris was playing and everything like that and how well their offense was, it was really hard not to want to pick UTSA in this game. And, you know, for all the analysts, and I think myself included, I think I said in the preview, you know, take the over in this game. Oh, man, I feel bad for anybody that actually did vote because it, it, it's just a really rough day for y'all. But um, anyway, in this game, Troy, they would end up winning the uh, Duluth Trading Cure Bowl 18-12 over the UTS Roadrunners in arguably are one of the best bowl games of the entire bowl season as Troy, they now finished their 2022 campaign 12-2. and And then for UTSA, you still had a successful year, right? You finished 11-3. and You won a Conference USA Championship next year going into the American Athletic Conference Champion, or not Championship, you're going to the American Athletic Conference. So there's a lot to look forward to. UTSA is really a program on the rise in the state of Texas. So is Troy if they're able to retain their head coach. Um, I think offensively, they're going to need to get some guys on offense. That's the biggest thing. But just how good their defense was is something you can really build off as Troy, their defense pretty much wins them this game 18-12 to over UTSA. Now, y'all, that would be our Friday slate of games. So we had two really good games to kick us off here in the bowl season. I mean, really good bowl games. Uh, Miami of Ohio and UAB came down to literally the last play, a game that ended pretty much in resemblance to how the Rams and Titans Super Bowl did back in the day. And then UTSA and Troy kind of pulled out a shocker with, you know, it being a defensive game more than it was an offensive game. So now let's get over to Saturday, which was our main slate of games. We had some pretty good games, Cincinnati and Louisville in the Scott Satterfield Bowl. We had Florida and Oregon State in the Las Vegas Bowl, and then just a few more games. But to kick it all off, our first game that we did have on Saturday that I want to talk about is going to be the Cincinnati Bearcats, who just now hired former Louisville head coach Scott Satterfield, taking on Scott Satterfield's old employer, Louisville. Now, for Louisville, they got some good news, right? You know, they wanted to eventually get rid of Scott Satterfield one way or another. We talked a little bit more about it in our um, Catching Up with College Football Episode 3. But, um, you know, in this game between the Cards and the Cincinnati Bearcats, it was going to be real feisty, right? This is an old rivalry. You have two rivals that used to be conference foes. Now they're they're both playing in a bowl game that might be called the Fenway Bowl. 
but mostly should be called the Scott Satterfield Bowl because Cincinnati, they went out and grabbed former Louisville head coach, as we all know. They went out and got Scott Satterfield. So this game was going to be a little bit interesting. Both teams currently had interim head coaches because Cincinnati's former head coach, Luke Fickle, decided to go over to Wisconsin, which they picked up a pretty good quarterback, and we'll talk about that in Catching Up with College Football Episode 4. But to go how to, but you know, to talk a little bit about how the Fenway Bowl game went, um, it started out really slow, right? We only had one touchdown in the beginning of the game, but Louisville would lead after the first quarter, seven to zero. Um, we all knew the run game was going to be really big because both of these teams don't throw the football that well. At least for Cincinnati, they don't really anymore because they don't have Desmond Ritter. He's off to the NFL, starting for the Atlanta Falcons, and you know they also didn't have who was their quarterback one for most of the season. And Ben Bryant, so now they had to go with their third-string quarterback, who's likely going to be their future at quarterback, and Evan Prater. And well, Evan Prater, you know, started the game off pretty well. Would go seven to fifteen for eighty-three yards passing and one touchdown. But that would be it entirely for Evan Prater. He really would not do anything else the rest of this game. Missed a lot of throws. Just never really was able to get anything going. And it just a crazy stat line that I didn't even notice because I was out running around with family and everything like that. Evan Prater in this game rushing wise would have 13 carries for negative 30 yards rushing now you're probably wondering wow that is horrible it's got a lot to do with his offensive line and you know you wouldn't be wrong he was sacked seven times in this game which is something you definitely don't want Cincinnati's offensive line was just horrendously bad um, also in this game as well we would see him fumble the football twice one would be lost he would luckily enough not have to worry about the other one but it was just a rough game for the Cincinnati Bearcats. They fumbled the ball three times total. They did get two uh, two fumble recoveries in this game, so at least they had that. But this game was really dominated by Louisville's defense, which we all saw was so good against Wake Forest. And I tried to tell you all in this bowl game that going up against a pretty weak and defeated Cincinnati Bearcat team as a whole. Mm, excuse me, guys. So this matchup was pretty much made for this exact result to happen. And offensively in this game, this was literally just a game Louisville needed in terms of just a momentum boost, right? You know, now you're going into a new era of Cardinal football. You got Jeff Brom coming in next year. You know, let's end the 2022 campaign off with a boom. And, well, for a team that runs the football pretty well, they ran it pretty darn well. You know, they had a backup quarterback in this game and Brock Domain, who has a little bit more of a better arm than uh, what you would get out of Malik Cunningham, who missed this game due to declaring for the NFL draft. But, man, when I tell you the running backs for Louisville were such a factor in this game, Maurice Turner and Jawar, uh, Jordan both ran for over 100 yards each. Maurice Turner had 160 of his own. Jawar Jordan had 115 of his own and also had two rushing touchdowns to add on top of that. As the Louisville Cardinals would absolutely just dominate in this game against their old rival, the Cincinnati Bearcats, 24-7 as Louisville. They now finish off the 2022 campaign 8-5 and with a really great second half to end the season. And then for Cincinnati, you know, really rough ending. You know, you lost to Tulane, which pretty much eliminated you from going to the American Athletic Conference Championship game. You lose your head coach to Wisconsin, and then you get blown out in a bowl game by your former employer school. So, or by your um by your uh, current head coach's former school. So, rough ending to Cincinnati for this year, but the future is bright. Scott, Scott Satterfield is definitely a good recruiter. Now, will that translate onto the field? We'll have to wait and see. I definitely think Cincinnati, you know, they're going to the Big 12 next year. They're definitely going to take a step back. I do not expect them to probably win more than seven games at most next year. So, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they do. They're going to have a young team. They already had a lot of decommits due to the fact Luke Fickle's leaving. So, it's going to kind of end up being a snowball effect, seeing how this new staff is going to be able to recruit and develop guys. But anyway, Louisville, 
they finish off the 2022 campaign and kick us off here on Saturday with a 24-7 win over the Cincinnati Bearcats in the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. Now, I didn't even know the Fenway Bowl was named Wasabi Fenway Bowl until I literally started reading this, which is that's kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. So, anyways, y'all, the next game that we're going to go to here on Saturday's slate, the game that would have come right after this game, uh, the the Fenway Bowl would be the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. This game will be played at Reliant Stadium, the home of the Las Vegas Raiders, and this was a really entertaining matchup. One of the one of the games that I was really looking forward to, and unfortunately, opt outs would kind of ruin this game. But it'd be between the Florida Gators and the 14th ranked Oregon State Beavers. Now, for Florida, they had bad news already going into this game, which you know they've been tearing it up recruiting wise, right? Like got one of the top recruits in the class of 2024 in Derek Legway Jr., who, me personally, I'm kind of a little bit jealous that he went out of state. I wish he would have stayed in state. Not necessarily went to A&M or anything like that, but, I mean, he's an absolute athletic kid. Plays baseball, plays football. He's got a good frame. You know, they were able to get him as well. as also flipped Jaden Rashada, the former Miami recruit. So they're, they're, they're going to be perfectly fine in terms of recruiting, but they have had a lot of tran uh, transfers out, you know, on the current team. You're obviously losing pretty much your main weapon on offense in Anthony Richardson due to him going to the 2023 NFL draft. It was going to be a huge loss. And, well, in this game, you had a very inexper inexperienced quarterback coming in and starting for the Florida Gators. And Jack Miller, who was a former four-star quarterback, originally went to Ohio State. Things didn't work out there. I think he got dismissed off the team, if I remember correctly, then transfers, then transfers down to Florida, expecting to potentially start. But as we all know, this became Anthony Richardson's team. And I definitely would expect Jack Miller to enter the transfer portal at some time. And... Well, in this game between the Gators and the Beavers, normally in real life, the Gators probably would end up winning this battle. But in this game, the Beavers won every single aspect of it. Running the football, Oregon State, which I talked about, is what they're going to do. It's their bread and butter. They did pretty darn well. Had three rushing touchdowns on the day for a combined 164 yards rushing. They had three different guys score a rushing touchdowns, so that's obviously huge for you. Deshaun Fenwick would lead the Beavers in rushing with 107 yards. And, you know, for the Beavers, an uh, aspect of their game, which I really wish would continue to, you know, get better and better each and every single week, and it finally did in this game. Ben Goldbrason would go 12-19 for 165 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. Now, unfortunately, he would get injured, so he would not be able to finish the game. But Tristan uh, Je uh, Je Jabia, I want to say that's how he pronounced his last name. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced it. He would go 5-6 of six for 24 yards rushing. Didn't get a touchdown, but or not rushing, throwing the football, but was able to really help finish out this game for the Oregon State Beavers and for Oregon State they've got a really young wide receiver and Silas Bolden who is the younger brother of former Oregon State standout uh, wide receiver Victor Bolden and we all know the former Lion in the NFL so he's an absolute speedster very much like his older brother and in this game he went off against his Florida uh, defense six receptions for 99 yards receiving and a touchdown but that wouldn't even be the real bright spot for Oregon State in this team or in this game right their defense was absolutely outstanding in this game. Didn't allow a single touchdown the whole game. Really didn't even allow any points this game. The only points would come literally with less than two minutes left in the game, which Florida would kick a field goal just so they wouldn't get shut out. But a lot of credit needs to be given to this Oregon State defense. You know, had four sacks on the day, 11 tackle for losses. And normally you put up a stat line like that, you're bound to win a game. Um, Florida throwing the football looked horrible. Jack Miller, 13 to 22, 180 yards passing with zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Now, I do want to give him a little bit of slack because that offensive line just could not block anything to save their life. But I think a lot more credit needs to be given to Oregon State's defense, just from how well and dominant they were. And also, 
Oregon State was able to stop the run. Now, I know a lot of Florida fans are going to give them the hole. We had a lot of opt-outs. We had a lot of transfers, you know, yada, yada, yada. Dude, y'all's running back room is stacked beyond belief. And the fact y'all only had 39 rushing yards on 33 carries is just horrendous and is not a way that you're going to be able to win, you know, win any type of game. And it showed in this game as they just simply could not get anything going as the Oregon State Beavers go on to blow out Florida in this game. I didn't expect it to be a blowout. I expected Oregon State to win, but not by this fashion as Oregon State would pretty much go on to shut out the Florida Gators. A 30-3 in the Las Vegas Bowl as Oregon State, they finish up the 2022 campaign 10-3. and and really, I mean, the future is absolutely bright for this Oregon State team. And I'm really excited to see what they do in the Pac-12 once USC and UCLA are gone. So now, y'all, let's get down to our next bowl game. We're going to go a little bit more west and down as we're going to go to the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl. One of the more entertaining bowl games and I guess you could say interesting bowl games because the mascots, right? You got Washington, you know, you got a Cougar, you got a Bulldog for Fresno State. And then Jimmy Kimmel decided to make his own mascot for this bowl game, which might be one of the more creepier things you will ever see. Look it up. It's like a weird mix of an elephant and just giraffe. It's terrifying. Do not ever show. If you have kids, please do not show them that because it is <laughs> It's just purely horrifying. But um, anyway, to actually talk some football, I predicted Fresno State to win this game. As much as I liked Cam Ward and the Washington State Cougars, I just had a gut instinct that Fresno State, you know, going on the road against, going on the road up to Boise, taking on Boise State, you know, especially up in Boise, which is never an easy environment to play in, and beating them in the fashion they did. I'm like, okay, that defense is legit, and they showed it once again. You know, Washington State only had six total points in this game, which will come off of two field goals. So hats off to that Fresno State defense. Cameron Ward really could not get anything going in this game. Eight for 14, 43 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. And for a team that throws the football as much as Washington State does, only having 43 passing yards is bad. But I will actually give this team some slack because they have gotten decimated in terms of coaches leaving players transferring out so they really didn't have as many options as, as they had at the beginning of the year run game was really bad too only 16 total yards rushing so this team barely eclipsed over 50 yards total offense I mean this was if you were a Washington State fan I guarantee you clicked off after like you absolutely turned the channel after watching the second quarter like this this game just this this was just a horrible game to watch if you're a Wazoo fan. But if you're a Fresno State fan, you're really excited about how your team finished this year, right? You know, last week or a few weeks ago, you're able to win the Mountain West Conference and backed it up once again. You know, your starting quarterback, Jake Hayner, who had who the former Washington quarterback came down to um, Fresno State with his former head coach, Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer leaves for Washington. It's pretty much projected that Jake Hayner is going to go back up to Washington and follow his head coach. But he decides to stay at Fresno State because they gave him that opportunity to start. And he took advantage of it and wanted to show some loyalty, which is something you really don't see a lot of in college football, right? I mean, this kid had probably NIL deals just everywhere, left and right, left and right. But he you know, felt that it was his responsibility to that Fresno State just school and environment that I give back to y'all. And, you know, he's had a pretty good year, not as good as his 2021 campaign, but still a really solid year for Jake Hayner, and he finished it up really well, 16-24, to 24, 233 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. As Fresno State's defense would just utterly dominate the Cougars in this game, 29-6 to 6, as Fresno State, they go on to win the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl 
over the Washington State Cougars, and they finish up their year 10-4. and four. And then for Wazoo, you know, had a lot of close games this year. You know, should have beat Oregon at home. Oregon came back late, um, almost beat USC if you're talking about just the first half alone. So Washington State, they've got some good pieces, right? Cam Ward, I like him a ton. Um, but, you know, obviously Washington State, they're not going to be able to keep their coaches if they're really good. That's just the unfortunate part with college football because if you're in a lower school, Nine times out of ten, the second you get a good coach, they're already going to be getting paid twice that salary to go to somewhere else. And that's just unfortunately the reality we live in, you know, in nowadays college football, which isn't the worst thing. I mean, it's it's just, the you know, also college football starting to turn into more of a business, and we're seeing that more and more each day with stuff like NIL and, you know, boosters doing this and that, which has been going on forever. But anyway, guys. That would wrap up our kind of early slate and mid-slate. So now let's get to our evening games that we had on Saturday. And we had some pretty good games, some some that had some pretty good offenses that we're going to be showing down. But the first one I want to talk about, we're going to go out to Albuquerque as we had the SMU Mustangs with one of the more entertaining offenses in all of college football taking on the BYU Cougars, who were without their starting quarterback, Jaron Hall, in this game. So, obviously, BYU not having their top weapon on offense was going to really cripple their offense going into this game. I mean, you know, he really is a game manager type of quarterback. He's really able to control how things go, and, you know, definitely not having him was going to hurt them in this game. But with how this game would go, you know, having a young cornerback, or young, not young cornerback, a young quarterback, and I am so sorry if I mispronounced his name, Soljay, Maeva Peters, who was a freshman quarterback out of Hawaii and, you know, has a lot of resemblances and I heard it even on the broadcast. Kind of looks a little bit like Jaden Delore, the current uh, Arizona starting quarterback, the former Washington State quarterback. Very elusive, can also throw the football at times and, you know, in this game didn't really showcase, uh, you know, a lot of being able to throw the football. Went 7-12, 47 yards uh, passing with one interception. But he ran the football really good in this game. 14 carries for 96 yards rushing and a touchdown. Christopher Brooks would also add to that really just in this game, really good BYU run game. 19 carries for 88 yards rushing and a touchdown as well. As BYU would have a total of 209 rushing yards in this game and two touchdowns. And really has been kind of the killer for SMU's defense this entire season. We saw it really against Tulane, which Tajay Spears who's one of the best running backs in the power in the group of five. He absolutely ran all over this SMU team. We saw Kendra Miller earlier in the year, you know, from my TC Horn Frogs run all over him. So SMU's problem has really been, you know, containing the run. And we saw that once again in this game because BYU didn't do anything crazy, you know, really could really were not able to throw the football because they had a quarterback that, you know, to be frank, really cannot throw the football like, you know, J uh, Javen Hall. So in this game as well and you know we're gonna look at SMU a little bit offensively wasn't a horrible game not a bad performance by Tanner Mordecai outside of one interception he looked okay 27 to 37 218 yards passing with three touchdowns or not three touchdowns two touchdowns and then that one interception we just talked about the run game of SMU was pretty good something that they really have not been able to get going you know Really didn't have to rely on their run game a lot this season because they had one of the top wide receivers in all of the FBS and Rasheed Rice, but Rasheed Rice would not be playing in this game, so now they would have to rely on their run game, and they did pretty well. I mean, they had three running backs that would have over 30 yards rushing. Tyler Levine, who I personally like a ton, a very old-school type of running back, had the neck pad, everything like that, 23 carries for 91 yards rushing and a touchdown. Roderick Daniels would have 59 rushing yards. And then Kamara Wheaton, the former five-star running back in Alabama running back who transferred to SMU this past offseason, he would have 37 rushing yards on the day. But 
just BYU's defense really stepped up, contained this SMU offense, which has definitely kind of struggled to get their foot going these past few weeks. And, you know, a ton of credit needs to be given to BYU because, you know, they had a pick six in this game as well, which I completely forgot about. And, well, this game would get really close because SMU would, would shut out BYU in the fourth quarter, would put up two touchdowns, but on the final touchdown, they would decide to go for two. You know, they wanted to win the game right then and there, you know, be able to take home the New Mexico Bowl against BYU. And well, and what was a designated quarterback draw, things just did not work that well. You know, the pocket collapsed, the offensive line completely collapsed, and Tanner Mordecai would be stopped very, very short of the goal line as BYU would go on to win the New Mexico Bowl, which was one of the games that I was wrong about. I thought SMU, you know, being a TCU fan, it hurt me. I picked SMU, but once again, they disappoint as BYU. They get the 24-23 to uh, win over the SMU Mustangs to take home the New Mexico Bowl, New Mexico Bowl up to Provo, Utah. And also for, you know, uh, BYU, you've got a lot to look forward to in the future. Now you're officially going to become a member of the Big 12. So now you're going to be back in a conference. You're going to be playing Power 5 ball. Some really fun times are coming for BYU. You know, definitely a disappointing season, especially when you had that upset against a top 10 ranked Baylor team to begin the year. But at least you finish off the season winning a bowl game and you have some type of momentum going in to your new era of football as you're going to be joining the Big 12. Now, y'all, for our final bowl game that I want to talk about, and we'll talk about that here in a sec, but I want to talk about one individual performance that we had in this bowl, you know, bowl, or I guess you could say, yeah, week one of this bowl season. And we're going to talk about Frank Gore, Frank Gore's son, Frank Gore Jr. Now, this guy has been tearing it up secretly at Southern Miss this entire season, and he legitimately made history, bowl history in this game against Rice in the Lending Tree Bowl. Had 21 carries for 329 yards rushing. Just think about that for a second. That is that is that is the amount of rushing yards some running backs will have in an entire season, and he had that in one game. He would have 329 rushing yards and two touchdowns and would make bowl history with his performance. So shout out to Frank Gore Jr. for absolutely just tearing it up with Southern Miss this past year and being able to take home the Lending Tree Bowl. Now, y'all, to our final bowl game that we're going to talk about here in week one of bowl season. We're going to go up to Frisco, Texas, pretty much almost right near where I am, as we had a really entertaining matchup between North Texas and Boise State, and this game got really chippy throughout the entire. I mean, it was a really chippy ball game. Both of these teams, you could tell, didn't like each other from the beginning, and they definitely didn't like each other And at the end as we saw the coaches starting to argue and everything like that. But to talk a little bit about how this game went, you know, run game really dominated this game for both sides. It's been cold here down in Texas, and I know a lot of people up north are like, 35 is not cold, but when you're from this part of Texas, it is absolutely freezing. So, you know, the run game is going to be a big key in, you know, both of these teams' offenses, and that's exactly what it was because we saw Boise State run the football pretty effortlessly. You know, they had a freshman running back who dominated in this game, Ashton Genty, 28 carries for 178 yards rushing and one touchdown. So huge game by Ashton. Um, Taylor Green, who a redshirt freshman quarterback, tore it up against um, Utah State a few weeks back, and I expected him to have another big game, and he did exactly that in this game against North Texas. 12 carries for 119 yards rushing and two touchdowns. But North Texas, they were also able to run the football pretty well, 176 uh, rushing yards total with two touchdowns. But the biggest difference would be the pass game. So for Taylor Green of Boise State, he 
passed effectively. Didn't do anything crazy, but was able to pass pretty effectively. 13 to 22, 137 yards passing with one touchdown. You know, didn't make really any big time mistakes. But now when you look on North Texas's side, Austin Ann, who's like a 35-year-old quarterback for these guys. I mean, he's he's one of the oldest quarterbacks in all of college football. He would go 17 to 32, 238 yards passing with one touchdown. You're like, "Okay, it's not a bad stat line." But he would finish it up, but he would have two really costly interceptions in this game, which you can tell really would just derail the momentum if North Texas had any going on at the time. And you could really tell towards the end of the game because Boise State's defense was just able to shut out North, North Texas really in the second half as they would only allow 22 points, which is not amazing, but you got to do what you got to do, especially when we saw how bad Boise State got tore up last week against Fresno State. So, but um, anyway, this game would finish out pretty interesting because North Texas somehow would be able to get the ball back with a little bit over a minute, but they would go four and out, and you know, almost Austin almost had another interception in this game. But Boise State, they'd be able to take home the Frisco Bowl right back up to Boise, Idaho, as they beat North Texas 35 to 32. As Boise State, they have yet another 10 win season as they now finish their uh, 2022 campaign. 10 and 4 and then for North Texas one of the more odd finishes is we North Texas would finish their year 7 and 7 you really at least in college football you really don't ever see a record like that so i think that's kind of interesting you know seeing a team finish they finished 500 but with seven losses and normally when a team has seven losses they normally finish 5 and 7 but in this case UNT is a little bit more special as they finish 7 and 7 so guys that would wrap up all of bowl season week one action that we had. Let me know what bowl games y'all really liked watching. I know for me personally, that UTSA and Troy game, despite not having all the offense we expected, the defenses as well as they played just made for a really entertaining matchup. And it was good being able to see Troy, you know, kind of get some spotlight and really show how good of a team they are. I mean, they've got a lot, and I mean a lot of defensive talent. It was also good seeing Louisville be able just to absolutely destroy Cincinnati up in Boston in the Fenway Bowl. So, guys, let me know what y'all's favorite bowl game was. We have a lot more bowl games coming up this next week, which that episode will be coming out on Wednesday like normal. Now, there'll be two bowl games prior to that, and we'll talk about those games in the preview. But I just want to kind of continue to keep a uh, just a schedule, if you want to say, so y'all are constantly having the same schedule. So it will come out on Wednesday like we always do. But, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's recap of Bowl Season Week 1. I hope you all enjoyed. Make sure you like, comment, share, rate. Just do whatever you can to make sure we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast. So, guys, thank you so much once again. I truly appreciate all of y'all. And I look forward to continuing to look at Bowl uh, Bowl Season Week 2, which will be coming out on Wednesday. So, guys, thank you so much. And I'll see you all in the next one. Peace, y'all.